I was brought up, my mother was a believer, my father was not a believer, but when I was 13, we were going to a Swedish congregational church in Massachusetts, and um, I went to confirmation class. You don't know anything about that, most of you, but I was confirmed when I was 13. I was the only one in the class who wouldn't join the church. Um, Everybody else joined. I didn't know what a Christian was, but whatever in the world there were, I knew that I wasn't. So I wouldn't join the church. And um, But I do remember a confirmation song. You know, God takes you at your word. You say, I said it, but I didn't really mean it. Yes, you did. That's why you said it. Because out of the heart proceeds that that comes out of the mouth. And think of the song that we sang. It went, I do not ask for diadem or scepter. I do not ask for worldly joy or fame. I only ask to follow my Redeemer and tell abroad the wonders of his name. And uh, the Lord has allowed me to preach the gospel in over a hundred countries of the world. There's not a continent except Antarctica, and I have no desire to go down there, (laughs) but that I haven't uh, been privileged to preach the gospel. But the first time that I heard the gospel, I believed it. I was 18, and uh, a woman 68 years of age explained to me who Jesus Christ was and what he had done for me. It was the first time I had ever, I'm sure I probably heard it with these ears, but you know you have two sets of ears. You have these, and then you have the ears of the heart. But the first time I really heard it with the heart, I believed it. I can't say, like some of you, that you rejected and rejected and rejected. I didn't. The first time I heard it, I believed it. I went home. I could hardly, I didn't know what had happened to me, but I told my mother. I worked in a Brockton public market in Massachusetts, and uh, I went there, and the next morning I told Cliff Broman and George Hildreth and everybody else around there, and uh, later on I saw this fellow, Cliff Broman, and he asked me where I, what I was doing. I told him I was going to Bible school. He said, well, I don't know, but I know whatever you're doing works because uh, when you came to work that morning, you wouldn't steal anymore because I, uh, I worked in the fruit department and I used to, you know, steal fruit and slip it to him. But my life was changed, and so I'm glad tonight that I'm a Christian believer. Now, I know that many times you've asked yourself the question, why do we have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? In the first chapter of Ezekiel, you read of that young priest and his wife that lived in the Kibar Valley down in the Babylon area. And one day, in the coming out of the east, was a big cloud. And out of the cloud was uh, uh, like a fire in the color of amber. And then out of that cloud came four creatures that we know of as the cherubim. And each one of these four creatures, uh, each one had, well, they had flat feet. I think they had poor shoes in those days. And so uh, they had flat feet. Each one had four wings. Each one had um, hands that were hidden. Each one had four faces. You remember reading about that. Each one had the face of a lion. Each one had the face of an ox. Each one had the face of a man. And each one had the face of a what? A flying eagle. Has it ever occurred to you that these bore the image of their master? And that someday he would come down here and dwell amongst us. The word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. So we have to have four Gospels to give us the whole picture of our Lord Jesus. The Gospel of Matthew is the lion gospel. It's the gospel of the king. The expression, the kingdom of heaven, is only found in the Gospel of Matthew. It's found 32 times. And you have three sermons. He was born king. You remember when they came from the east and they said, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Uh, Men are not born kings. We have some boys over in London. They're heir to a throne, but they weren't born kings. 
But when the Lord Jesus was born, he was born king, the king of the Jews. And he gave us three great sermons on the kingdom of heaven. He gave us that one, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, after he'd given us the credentials of a king. He gave that sermon the kingdom of, it's the greatest sermon ever preached. And he gave it only to his own. He didn't give it to everybody. That's why you can have as many degrees as there are in a thermometer. But uh, if you're not a, a believer, you'll never understand the Sermon on the Mount. You have to be a believer, a real born-again believer, in order to understand the Sermon on the Mount. A great sermon. Whenever I take people to the land, I have a, re a little special thing I give on that mount, which is probably the mount where he gave that sermon. Then he gave another one, Matthew 13, which is the gospel, which is the uh, sermon of the soils, not the sermon of the seed, but the sermon, sermon of the soils, and uh, that is the progress of the kingdom. And then another sermon in Matthew 24 and 25 on the coming of the kingdom. Many mysteries in it, many things we still don't know, but um, we're grateful for that one. And he gave that also on a mountain, on the Mount of Olives. And uh, so he gave us those. And we have to have the Gospel of Matthew because it's the Gospel of the King. And then we have the Gospel of Mark. And the Gospel of Mark is the Gospel of the Ox, the Servant of Jehovah. From the very beginning until the very end, he said, I delight to do thy will. I always do those things which please my Father. And he came as the servant amongst us. And then the Gospel of Luke. Ernest Renan, the French Ernest, it was a very earnest man, for a very brilliant man, but a stranger to regenerating grace said that the Gospel of Luke was the most beautiful book that had ever been written. And then we come to the Gospel of John. And I know that's probably your favorite Gospel, the Gospel of John. It's very interesting because in the Gospel of John, and I want you to notice this the next time you read it, he knows everything about everybody that he ever meets. It wasn't necessary for him to tell what was in man because he knew what was in man. Uh, all four Gospels tell the story of the feeding of the 5,000. I was almost tempted to bring a talk tonight on the feeding of the 5,000. The Gospel of John is the only one that says Jesus knew what he was going to do. And it's the only one that tells about the little boy that had the lunch. It's the only one. The others don't tell about that boy. He had five loaves, two fishes, just like you. You're made up of fives and twos. When you think that you have five fingers, five toes, two eyes, two nostrils, you're made up of fives and twos, just like that boy had the fives and the twos. And then uh, the Gospel of John, he, well, he knows everything about everybody that he ever meets. We're going to come back to the Gospel of John tonight. Um, I had an agreement with some here, so if you see them leaving, you'll know why they're leaving. I said, if I don't make the talk interesting tonight, for pity's sake, don't let me waste your night. Why, well, just get up and leave, and I'll tell the people why you're leaving. But anyway, uh, the Gospel of John, and we love that. But tonight, I'd like to take three chapters, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4. Uh, I'll give you my little outline first, because when I was in Bible school, they said every decent sermon ought to have three parts to it. First, you ought to tell the people what you're going to tell them, then you tell them, then you tell them what you told them. And um, in chapter, chapter 2, you have a type of the new birth. In John chapter 3, you have the doctrine of the new birth. And John chapter 4, you have an example of the new birth. I believe, well, we'll come to her after a while, but I believe she's the greatest woman in the New Testament. But if you don't mind just turning, incidentally, without looking your Bible at your Bible, 
What day was the wedding feast at Cana? Anybody know? Tuesday. The third day, there was the wedding feast at Cana. Why was it on the third day? If you were to go back to Matthew, I mean to Genesis chapter 1, on the third day of the recreations, the third day is the only day of the seven that we read, and the Lord saw that it was good. So in many, many instances, Jews get married on the third day, on Tuesday, because the Lord saw that it was good. But um, in John chapter 2, you have a type of the new birth. This was the wedding feast at Cana. And there were six water pots. Six is man's number. He was created on the sixth day. And the perfection of man will be of that number, 666. And uh, there were six water pots that had been cleansed after the Jews' manner of purification. It shows that religion can't help anybody. I might talk to you before I'm through. I'll be with you three or four days, if they let me stay that long. But anyway, on um, the difference between religion and the gospel, there's a far greater religion. I don't know whether you're religious or not. I hope you're not. If you're religion, I hope you get rid of it tonight before you leave. Because religion, all of it, originates on earth. The gospel originated in heaven. Religion is what a sinful man tries to do for a holy God. The gospel is what a holy God has already done for a sinful man. You know, the only claim I have on God is that I'm a sinner. I have no other claim. He didn't die for good people. He died for sinners. And when I knew myself to be a sinner, I could know myself to be one for whom the Lord died. But uh, they had the six water pots that had been cleansed after the um, Jews' manner of purifying uh, of these uh, water pots. And there were six of them. And uh, went to his mother came to him. And when I go to South America, I many times preach on the gospel according to Mary. And that's found in here. Because Mary said, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. That's the gospel according to Mary. And um, <laughs> as the poet said, the conscious liquid looked upon the face of its maker and blushed itself into wine. Don't the chemists wish they could do that today? They'd rent the Great Lakes if they thought that they could change that water into wine. But there you have a type of the new birth of this. This is the first sign. Remember now, the Jews require a sign, according to 1 Corinthians. I hope you don't look for signs. You're going to be disappointed if you look for signs. The Jews, whenever you read about signs, you'll find them connected with Israel. And the Jews require a sign. 1 Corinthians says that. Uh, we, according to 2 Corinthians, walk by faith, which is altogether different than walking by signs. Faith means that we believe what God has had to say in the Bible, and we not only read it, but we believe it and, and uh, practice it. But anyway, we have here a type of the new birth. And the only thing they were told to do was to fill those water pots with the liquid, with the water. And um, there's a lot in the New Testament about this business of water. You recall that when the Lord Jesus was going to, uh, on the night before he died, he said, you go in and you'll find a man bearing a pitcher of water. Now, that's not a man's job. That's a woman's job. Still is today in that part of the world. You'll never see a man carrying a pitcher of water. But um, it, it would be like uh, going downtown. And of course, I guess you'd find that in these days finding a man wearing a woman's hat. But, um, but in those days, you'd never find a man bearing a pitcher of water. But there's a real lesson in that. Who is the one we ought to go and listen to? The one who has the water of the Word of God. And he's the one we ought to listen to. But John chapter 3 is the uh, doctrine of the new birth. See, it's right here. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. 
The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these signs or miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Let me come back to that in a minute. When God looks down from heaven, he sees two families. He's the, she's the family of the first man. He sees the family of the second man. Cain was not the second man. Abel was not the third man. Seth was not the fourth man. There were Adam all over again. And when you were born the first time, you were Adam all over again. That's the reason we have so much trouble with you. And that's the reason you have so much trouble with yourself. There is the family of the first Adam and the family of the last Adam. I know at Christmas time we sing that song, and it's a nice song, but it just ain't true. Second Adam from above. No such thing as a second Adam. If there were a second Adam, there might be a th third one or a fourth one or a fifth one. There'll never be another Adam. God sees the family of the first Adam, and he sees the family of the, la of the last Adam. And... Um, when you were born the first time, you were born in this family. But by the grace of God, he reborned you into this family. You say, that's not good grammar. I know, but we're not saved by grammar. We're saved by grace. Uh, well, I got one fellow on my side anyway. But he takes you out of this family, and he puts you over here. That's why we read, if any man be in Christ, he's in the new creation. You know, there are, God has at least three creations. He had a natural creation with Adam at its head. He had a national creation with Abram at its head. And he has a new creation that came out of Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. And when we're born again, we're born into this family over here. Um, and uh, that's why I like to come here and any church, any place where they like to hear the truth of the Word of God. But anyway, uh, in this third chapter, he said, uh, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He's blind. If you'll take Second um, Corinthians, you'll find the ministry of the devil. First of all, it said, The God of this age hath blinded the minds of those that believe not, lest the gospel of the grace of God should shine upon them. There are two causes of blindness. One is not enough light. Other one is too much light. I don't know whether you have ever been to, some of you have been to Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. And you go way, way down deep. And when you get down there, you'll find a river. And there are fish in that river. They have eyes, but they're blind because no light has ever reached them. And there are more Christians, of course, in the world today than there have ever been, but there are also more unconverted people in the world. And um, uh, because they have not had the light of the gospel of Christ. Then you read them, but later, first of all, he blinds sinners... And then it said that Eve was beguiled. Those that he cannot blind, he will beguile. Now, Adam was not beguiled. Adam sinned with his eyes wide open. He saw what had happened to Eve, and she was beguiled, but he wasn't. He sinned with his eyes wide open. Those that he cannot blind and cannot beguile, he will buffet. Satan said, I mean, uh, Paul speaking about, uh, he said that um, he had a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. I've had all kind of explanations of what that was that, uh, that buffeted him. I think it was his wife. I don't know, but um, you say you, you think he was, yeah, I think he was a Pharisee. And being a Pharisee and being a Sanhedrin, he had to have a wife. He, Peter had one. That's the reason that Peter denied the Lord, because the Lord had healed his mother-in-law. And um, 
But anyway, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He's blind. He can't see it. How many people have you talked to and they've said, I just can't see it? I can't see how a man who was here 2,000 years ago and was died, died, crucified, and buried, and rose again, and how can that change my life today? But if we were to have a testimony meeting and go through this crowd tonight, the testimonies would all be the same. We're all saved in exactly the same way. Our experiences are different, but our way of salvation is exactly the same when we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He came into this world to do three days' work, and eternity in the past knew no other future except that, and eternity in the future will know no other past except that. Those three days' work that he did, and so... um, we uh, we have a type of the new birth, and then here the doctrine of the new birth. And he went on to say, Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. He is not only blind, but he is also a cripple. Now, incidentally, there's not a. If you disagree with me here, it shows I'm right and you're wrong. There's not a drop of H2O in this verse. This is not the water that you'd get out of a spigot. This is the water of the Word of God. For instance, in Ephesians 5:26, we read about washing of water by the Word. And so it is the Word of God that is used. He is speaking, except a man is born of the Word of God, the water and the Holy Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Um, Paul said, I have begotten you through the gospel. Uh, James said, of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. Peter, in his first epistle, said, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. And in his second epistle, he said, By which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. I don't know what verse you came in on, but I came in on John chapter 1, verse 12. First time I heard, he came unto his own, his own would not receive him. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. I didn't understand it. I couldn't figure it out. But I bowed my head and I said, I will receive him. And that's how I came in, by that great promise in the word of God. Um... I think you probably have them in town here, uh, called the Church of Christ. And uh, if you ever see them talking, I can tell you the verse they'll be talking about. They'll be talking about Acts 2.38, speaking about being baptized and receiving the Holy Spirit, the gospel which they preach. I was on a train going up to North Carolina from Florida, and I was sitting with a fellow by the name of Hood, Probably one of your relatives, I don't know. But anyway, he was a Church of Christ preacher. And he was going to Baltimore to start a crusade the next day. I didn't tell him who I was, uh, but we talked. And then I took him into the dining uh, car, and I bought his lunch for him. We came back, and he had a Bible. I said, you see, you've got a Bible there. Uh, He said, yeah, I'm going up there. And he told me that he was a Church of Christ evangelist. And um, I asked him a couple of questions. I said, "Um, have you ever heard of the book of Galatians? He said, yeah, sure. I said, have you ever heard of the Apostle Paul? He said, of course. I said, let me see that book a minute. He started telling me how you're saved, that you contact the blood in the water. 
when you're baptized, you contact the blood in the water. Well, I said, I'm not going to dilute the blood of Christ with baptismal waters. But anyway, I said, let me have that. And we turned to Galatians. And when Paul went to Jerusalem, he said, they which were somewhat in conference added nothing to me. What's the next words? But contrarywise. I said, the last time, Paul was saying, the last time you saw the Lord Jesus was on the Mount of Olives before he ascended to heaven. I've seen him since then. I don't know how many times that the Lord ever appeared to Paul. I know he must have appeared at least three times, and he gave him three great mysteries that we never had before. One, you'll have him telling about Paul about the Lord's Supper. Now, we have that in the Gospels, of course, but it's a little different as you read it in the Corinthian letter. And then he also gives him the mystery of the gospel that we preach. We, uh, if you only had Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you wouldn't even know how to get saved. The word grace is not found in Matthew. The word grace is not found in Mark. The word grace is only found once in Luke, and then it refers to the Lord Jesus. But um, what uh, we read into the Gospels now that we've learned from the Apostle Paul, in his writings alone, we have the doctrine, the walk, the position, and the destiny of the church. But anyway, he was given the revelation concerning the gospel. He said, I heard it, the Lord told it to me, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And he said, that's the gospel that God, that Jesus gave to me. And then he gave me the revelation concerning the church. You have a in the Gospel of John, uh, Gospel of Matthew, you have a prophetic statement about the church, but you don't have any explanation. You wouldn't know what the church is if you only had the Gospels. You have a little, just kind of a glimpse of it in John chapter 10, when he said, there are other sheep of which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, that they may be one flock and one fold. And then he was also given a revelation concerning the removal of the church. And wherever I go, and I do, I've just come from Burma and uh, going to Alaska in two or three weeks. And then when I come back, I'll be getting ready to go to Africa, to Malawi, to the African Bible College to teach there for a week. And, but wherever I go and find the Lord's people, I find that there is an increasing hope of the Lord's soon return. And it could be that before we're out of this building tonight, the Lord will come. We're looking for the Savior. Uh, I hope you are at least. And, uh, but you wouldn't find that in uh, the Gospel of Matthew in, this, in the uh, sermon that he gave on the Mount of Olives. Don't look for it there. That was the revelation that was given to the Apostle Paul of the removal of the church from this world. And uh, so I spoke to this fellow, Hood, and I said, um, if I were you, I said, have you ever believed? He said, you're the first one I've ever talked to that could ever answer us. I said, my advice to you is, if you're not sure that you have been born again of God's Word and of God's Holy Spirit, and you've been brought out of darkness into His marvelous light, my advice to you is I wouldn't open my mouth tomorrow morning when you go to Baltimore. And uh, if, you, if you're not sure that you, have, uh, that you are born of God's Word and of God's Holy Spirit. But now, in John chapter 4, we have uh, an example of the new birth. Uh, I know that I'm talking to some real Bible students who are here tonight. Uh, but I want to point something out to you that you've probably noticed before. Of course, there were some very difficult things for Jesus dealing with this woman. I'll get back to her in a minute. Um, there was a national barrier. She was a Samaritan. There are still about between four and 500 Samaritans still up there around uh, in the Samaritan area. They're all about 25 cents short up here. Um, but they have the Samaritan Pentateuch, 
which they say is the oldest Pentateuch in the world. Of course, it isn't. Then there was the moral barrier, which we'll come to in a moment. And then there was the religious barrier. And we'll also come back to that. But anyway, seven times in this chapter, and I want you to notice it when you're reading this chapter, you'll have these words, Jesus saith unto her. The first one is in verse 7. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. I don't know much about women, but I know one thing about them. That is, a woman desires to be helpful and desires to be used. They're very specific. And he said, Give me to drink. So he opens the door. Then in verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou would have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. And he arouses her curiosity now. And then down in verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. That is the well, the water out of Jacob's well. And then in verse uh, 16, Jesus saith unto her, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. He deals now with the moral problem. She must have been a pretty classy lassie, I'll tell you that. Because five men had put a ring on her finger, and you don't do that on an old slob, I'll tell you that. So she, she probably... She probably was as pretty and as classy as any gal in, uh, in all of Sychar. Uh, and he said, go call your husband. And he put his hand on a sensitive spot and a nerve there. Go call thy husband and come hither. And then verse 5, Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. And in verse 6, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. And then in verse 26, Jesus saith unto her, I am. And she would understand that. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. So you'll see a progression of this master soul winner. Seven times you have those words, Jesus saith unto her. I say, I believe that she's the greatest woman in the New Testament. Everything was against her. In the first place, she lived in Sychar. Sychar is about 30 miles or so north of Jerusalem. And the name Sychar means drunkenness. I'll guarantee that if you lived in a section of Albuquerque, and which was uh, called drunkenness, you'd have a post office box downtown. Um, you wouldn't want to be uh, living in a town of drunkenness, so that was against her. And when you stand there uh, in that valley, there are two mountains. There's a mountain on the left when you're looking toward the west, and that's Mount Gerizim. I can always remember that because it's green. It's covered with uh, trees. And the, the uh, Samaritans, even to this day, have their Passover. A few weeks ago, they had their Passover up there. They celebrate for a week. It's a very gory sight because they kill sheep and lambs every day, many of them. And uh, But they say, that's we worship up here. You say Jerusalem. And then on the right-hand side, there's another mountain, and I can always remember that one because it's Mount Ebal. It's like my head is getting to be. And uh, later on, God had told Moses, have six tribes, a representative of six tribes, to stand on Mount Gerizim and pronounce the blessings of the law, and then representatives of six tribes to be on Mount Ebal. And incidentally, they recently found an altar on the top of Mount Ebal, and that was the Mount of the Curse. So she was not only born in the wrong place, in Sychar, in drunkenness, but she was born in a town that was on the slopes of Mount Ebal, the Mount of the Curse. Would it surprise you if I were to say, God never gave us the Ten Commandments to keep? Nobody here has ever kept the Ten Commandments. If you break one, you've broken them all. Uh, I'm going to make a little confession tonight. Uh, it's hard for me to do it, but it may be good for your soul. We were taking our daughter to college 
and we were coming from Florida, and those were in the days. Anybody here old enough to remember when girls used to wear crinolines? Nobody remembers that. That's a long time ago. I mean, the back seat was full of crinolines, so I couldn't look in the mirror to find out who was behind me. But we were driving along, and I heard a little growling, and I'm a great believer in observing the law, especially if the law is observing me. And uh, so I just hit that brake, and I pulled the car off the road, and I got out, and um, he was really a nice fellow. Uh, he was a highway patrolman. And he said, may I see your driver's license? I said, sure. So I gave him my driver's license. And in those days, we used to have our occupation written on our driver's lesson. He said, oh, I see you're a minister. Uh, the judge is a ministry. I said, the what? He said, the judge is a ministry. I said, what do I want with the judge? He said, well, we'll have a little trial. And he kept my license. He said, follow me. So we went in, and uh, sure enough, here was a little Baptist preacher sitting back of a desk, and he brought the charges against me and said, are you guilty or not guilty? I said, I really don't know. I'm not a name dropper, but when I get in a situation like that, I like to come out very loud, Billy Graham. <laughs> and uh, so I, hand, I handed a little tract to, because the highway patrolman was going back on the road to look for somebody else. And uh, the judge said, well, he said, uh, I'm a great believer in your work. He said, uh, I'm going to give you something, and I want you to read it and sign it. I said, I'll sign it. He said, no, I want you to read it. No low contender or something like that. He said, there won't be anything on your record. But he said, I'm a great believer in your work. And he said, the fine is $25. Uh, but he said, uh, I'll cut it in half to twelve fifty. I said, do you think you could bring it down to ten? <laughs> he said, yeah, I think I can. So I reached in my wallet. He said, now, wait a minute. We run an honest court here. I have to charge you, but there's nothing in the law that says I can't pay your fine. So this little Baptist preacher reached into his wallet and got ten dollars and put that in the drawer, and he paid my fine. I said, do you know what you've just done? You've just preached the gospel. The law is perfect, just, and good. Don't ever criticize the law. The law is perfect, just, and good. But the purpose of the law is to bring us in guilty before God, like that highway patrolman brought me in guilty. And then by grace and by blood and by faith, he justifies us. It's pretty difficult to find a definition of justification. If I were to write some papers and pencils out around here, it would be interesting to find out for, if you to, for you to tell me what justification is. I think the best I ever heard was of an Englishman in the days when there used to be wealthy Englishmen, and he had bought a new Rolls Royce, and he was having his holiday over in the French Alps. And uh, in the midst of his holiday, something went wrong with the rear end. Well, an ordinary mechanic can't even touch uh, a Rolls-Royce. So they sent word back to Britain, and uh, the Rolls-Royce company sent a couple of the mechanics and a new rear end, and they flew as far as they could and motored the rest of the way, and they found the Englishman stranded, and he was angry, but they couldn't help that. They went to work and pulled out the old one, and they put in the new Rolls uh, new rear end. And then they went back to Britain. A few weeks later, he was back, and he turned to his secretary, and he said, uh, how much did the rear end for my Rolls-Royce cost? She said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he told her, she, she said, we've never heard from him. He said, well, I want you to write to him and find out how much it's going to cost. In a few days, got this letter. Dear sir, we have no record of any rear end that ever went bad in any Rolls Royce. I said, boy, that's justification. God never says that Roy Gustafson was never a sinner. He couldn't in righteousness ever say that. But he can say, we've searched the records up here, and we have no record up here that he was ever a sinner. That's justification. And that's what one of the many, many things that God did for you when you said yes to him concerning his son.
so uh, this woman lived there, and then her moral life wasn't all that good. Of course, I think I know her name. Her name was probably Liz, uh, with, uh, with those uh, husbands that she had. But anyway, uh, she was carrying a water pot. And her whole life revolved around that water pot. I have one just like it. I wish I had it here. It's from Roman days, and I got it on the hill of Samaria. And uh, it doesn't have a crack in it. It's a beautiful water pot. But her whole life revolved around that water pot. If she wanted a cup of tea, she had to go to the water pot to get the water. If she wanted to wash the dishes, she had to go to the water pot. If she wanted to wash her hair, she had to go to the water pot. She'd go there. It's empty. So she had to walk, and it's about a half a mile or so to Jacob's well where she would get the water. And she'd have to pass Joseph's tomb because Joseph, you remember, was buried up there. He had the longest funeral in the history of the world. Forty years, that's a long funeral. They carried his 206 bones all that distance and buried him there. And uh, his, uh, they have a little monument there for where Joseph pass that and go to the well. And that's when the Lord Jesus spoke to her. As I gave you the seven, the sequence of seven things when Jesus saith unto her. But then you're not supposed to add anything to the Bible, but I have. And I came down here to verse 28. The woman then left her water pot. And I've put a little word in the column. Now, when you get home, I'm sure that you'll be able to think of a lot of other reasons than the ones I'm going to suggest to you tonight. I put the little word, why. Why did she leave the water pot? This I'm going to suggest. Maybe she forgot it. You know, once you've tasted of the living water, once you've come to Christ, you forget a lot of things. People say, I'd like to be a Christian, but I, I, I couldn't give... No, you don't give up. They give you up. Um, and uh, things that were habits in your life, uh, practices in your life, when you really come to Christ, you forget a lot of the things that used to mean everything in the world to you. Um, I was speaking in Allegan, Michigan, and there was, um, I came to the end of my talk, and, you know, when you're giving evangelism, you give all kind of ways to get people forward. At least I used to. I don't anymore. But I tried and tried and tried, and I had them sing all the verses of Just As I Am and, and everything else, and nobody came. But I was sure that somebody was going to be saved that night, but nobody came forward. The next night, I was getting ready to go into the pulpit, and a woman came up to me, and she said, May I speak to you? I said, Listen, I've got to get in the pulpit. She said, But I want to speak to you now. She said, I was saved last night. She said, I went home, and I went in the bathroom, and I locked the door. And when I was in the bathroom, I accepted Christ as my Savior. She Then she told me, she said, you know, I'm on the bowling team. Now, I'm not speaking of bowling. I've no, I couldn't do it. But anyway, uh, I have no objection to anybody that wants to. She said, and uh, I was the best one on the team, and we're having the, uh, we're having the contest tomorrow night. And uh, I did want to go, but uh, since I've come to Christ, I want to be here to hear the gospel of Christ. And when you come to Christ, you forget a lot of things. A lot of things change for you. Um, I studied nine years with the best trumpet player in the world. Uh, but then when I went to Bible school, I got a letter from Boston from my teacher and uh, offering me a job in the Palidor restaurant in the dance orchestra. It was a nightclub and uh, to go back. And um, I got a letter from my sister, who I don't think is even a believer, not a real believer. But she said, you can be just as good a Christian playing in that dance orchestra as you can in Bible school. Of course, I didn't go back. But anyway, you forget a lot of things. And maybe she forgot it. Or there's a second thing. Maybe she wanted to run unhindered. This is the year we're going to have the Olympics in Atlanta. And those who are coming couldn't run the 220 if they had a water pot 
full of water on the shoulder. And uh, maybe she wanted to run unhindered. Is that the reason that uh, you read in Hebrews, laying aside every weight and the sin which does so easily upset us, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So maybe she forgot it, or maybe she left it there because she wanted to run unhindered. She had something to talk about. And she was going back into the town of Sychar and share her faith with the men that she had shared her life in love with. And she didn't want anything holding her back. Or there's another thing. Maybe she left the water pot because maybe she thought that Christ would like to use it. When he said, if you'd ask of me, I'd give you a living water. She said, but you have nothing to draw with. And I want to tell you, some of you have probably been over there and have seen Jacob's well. No question about it, that is the well. And it is deep. Uh, We weren't able to go there for several years, but now with this process that's going on in Israel between the Arabs and the Jews and the PLO and the rest of them, uh, anyway, we can take and just stop and drop a little stone or something in that well, and then it seems seconds before it hits the water. You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. She certainly knew what she was talking about. So maybe she left the water pot because she thought that maybe Christ would like to use it. I'm looking into the faces of many here tonight, and you know there are some of you, you're the only one that could lead somebody to Christ. Billy Graham probably couldn't lead them to Christ, but you have a neighbor that has a sick child or the kids get into trouble uh, and they're just looking to you. They know that you're a believer. They know you're going to come to the assembly here of believers. know that. And um, there are some of those people, that neighbors that you have, that only you could ever tell them. I don't believe in clergy and laity. I don't believe that the clergy is up here and the rest of the scrubs are way down here. As far as God is concerned, we're all on the same level. There are difference in gift, of course, but no difference as far as our responsibility of winning people to Christ. Some you read in Matthew 13, you have them uh, reaping the harvest. Some reap a hundredfold, some only fiftyfold, but it's always a good harvest. So there may be one person that you may win to Christ. And that will be as important as when we see uh, some of our evangelists, including your pastor and that, uh, that go out and uh, the Lord uses them to win many to the Savior. So maybe she left the water pot because she thought that maybe Christ would like to use it. And then maybe she left the water pot as a pledge that she would be back. And she did come back. And she brought those men that she had shared her life and her love with And uh, she brought them back to him. And to my knowledge, now you can correct me if if you know, but I don't know, and I've read the New Testament through many, many times, I don't know of any other woman in the New Testament, I'm sure there were, but I don't know any record of any woman in the New Testament that ever brought anybody to the Savior except her. And she brought those men, and they said, Now we believe, not because she told us, but we've heard him ourselves, and we believe that he is. And said, won't you stay longer? And he stayed two more days. In fact, he visited Samaria on two occasions, uh, this time and then another time. But as a, a very interesting uh, study to, to uh, just go in to find out why he ever went to Samaria. But um, she brought these men to him. Oh, there's another thing. She may have left the water pot because she took the well with her. And if you have the well, you don't need the water pot. The little kids sing about it. Jesus gave her water that was not in the well. She went, she went, uh, she came back. She went away, so she came back, what? And went away singing others to the water. Uh, She came, golly, what is that? Jesus gave her water that was not in the well. And she went away singing, 
She went away bringing others to the water that was not in the well. So the next time you're reading in the Gospel of John, take these three chapters. Chapter 2, you have the type of the new birth. John chapter 3, you have the doctrine of the new birth, the water of the Word and the Holy Spirit. And then in John chapter 4, you'll have an example of the new birth. The Gospel of John was written that we might believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we might have life through his name. When I was in Bible school, we traveled because we had a trio and a quartet, and we used to go to Old Orchard Beach, Maine. And uh, Scripture Gift Union puts out a, a lovely little Gospel of John, an emphasized Gospel of John. And uh, we would walk up to a person like we did on the pier up there at Old Orchard Beach. There was a gal there that was a handwriting expert, and you'd give her your signature, and she'd tell you something about your character. In fact, the FBI uses that thing today. But anyway, uh, I would say, may I borrow your pencil? So she left the pencil, and I would turn the page down of John 20:31 and make a little mark right next to verse 31. And I said, uh, where the page is turned down and where the mark is will tell you why this book was written. And I've done that many times, and you'll see people usually, they'll get off here and they'll kind of look and they'll read that. You might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Well, we left, but some students from Providence Bible Institute came by, and uh, after we had sown the seed, they explained that to her and brought her to faith. I later went to college. You don't believe that I ever went to college, but I did. Uh, they called me the other night because they're trying to raise money for an air conditioner for a new gymnasium. And they called me and wanted to know if I would make a pledge of $55,000. Uh, toward the air conditioner, $1,000 for every year since I had been graduated. So I still owe them $55,000. <laughs> but uh, we were singing. We had a glee club, and we were singing. We were in Philadelphia, and we went into Leary's old bookstore and around a table, and someone mentioned my name. And this woman crossed the book table, her name was Helen Bindi. I remember that. She said, Are you, is your name Roy Gustafson? I said, that's right. She said, you don't remember me. But a few years ago at Old Orchard Beach, Maine, you gave me a Gospel of John. And I believe that. And I'm in Philadelphia School of the Bible right now, and I'm preparing to go as a missionary. So you never know what you're doing. But the Gospel of John is the Gospel that's an easy Gospel to bring people to faith in 